Let's pray together. Father, thank you again that we have this privilege. We've had the opportunity to sing of your greatness, the lordship of Jesus Christ, the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ, his willing surrender both to you and for us. We ask that you help us now as we consider your word that we would see the glory, the glory of the gospel, the glory of your goodness. Refresh our souls for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you seen Walt Disney's The Incredibles? Yes? Raise your hand. Yes, seen it? It's kind of a neat little animated film about a family with superpowers. Mr. Incredible is incredibly strong. There's this one scene toward the beginning of the the film where he drives into his parking lot and he's about to get out of his car and he steps on a skateboard and, and when doing that he grabs on the roof of his car and he's so strong he bends the frame. He's trying to close the door and it won't close and he, he finally slams it, the window shatters and he looks over and there's this little kid on a tricycle uh, chewing his bubble gum. He's got a, a big bubble and it pops. And he's just staring at the guy. And it, a subsequent scene as he comes into the, the driveway again, same car with his bent frame, gets out of the car, and he looks over and says, what are you looking for, kid? And he's like, I, I don't know, something amazing. And the movie ends with a, a, a kind of a crazy scene where there's explosions and his wife, uh, Miss Elastic or Elastigirl or whatever her name is, is descending from the heavens as a parachute with Jack-Jack in her hands, and, and she comes down, and then some big bomb comes down and slams on them, and, and the, the daughter, uh, Violet, makes a force field, and, and all the stuff, they're all safe in there, and there's the, 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 when, the, when the dust and the smoke clears, they look, they look over, and this little kid is on this tricycle, and he said, that was totally wicked! So it was like this great scene. This whole family, they all have this superpowers, and, and, and they, they're trying to keep them under wraps. One scene in, in the film, there's this son, Dash. He's like super fast. He can run so fast he can like hover over the water. Um, he finally gets to join track because his parents wouldn't let him. They didn't want anyone to know of the superpower. And he's, he's running down the track, and they're like, um, all right, go on, go, go ahead. And, he, and he's like just kind of jogging, and everyone's ahead. And they said, go catch up, and he, and he goes by them all. They're like, oh, no, come into second place. And there's people like looking at them like, what's the matter with you? The, the whole film, or at least many aspects of the film, are about suppressing the power that they have. But you know what? One of the things that I notice that takes place is it's very depressing to them. It's very depressing to them that they have to suppress these abilities, the strength, the, the, the ability to, to, to save people's lives and, and to be heroes. And when they finally are able to unleash their powers, it's like the family comes together, there's this this great thing that's going on. Well, what I want us to think about this morning, and it's in line with our discussion on the fruit of the Spirit, we've come to another one of the fruit of the Spirit, and that is meekness or gentleness. The word in our ESV is gentleness in Galatians 5.23. The word is Proutase, it means meekness. It's translated meekness many times. The concept of meekness is strength under control or power 
under control. And if you think about the, the film, as they suppress their power, they're, they're depressed. When they unleash their power, they feel liberated and, and everything's good. And it's quite the opposite in the Christian life. It is unnatural for us to suppress our rights and abilities. The normal pattern for us is to get what we can and to use all of our opportunities for our own advantage. And the Bible tells us that our own resources, while they may be beneficial in certain areas, that is not what is going to bring the fulfillment of our soul. What we want to notice, first of all, as we've done through each of our studies of the fruit of the Spirit, uh, is to notice this character trait in our God first. Then to recognize the call for this character trait in our lives, and then to see how that takes place. So the first place we want to start this morning is that our Heavenly Father demonstrates perfect meekness. Our Heavenly Father demonstrates perfect meekness. Consider just the ways that God describes Himself to us. We have this theological term that is used, anthropomorphisms. It's God describing Himself with human characteristics. One of the great ones that you'll notice if you're reading through your Bible and you're going to see this um, human trait of God, it talks about the eyes of the Lord running to and fro throughout all the earth. He's using something that we're familiar with, eyes, to demonstrate something of His ability to see all over the place. So He uses this human character trait. That that really is a, a humble thing for the God of all glory to say, hey, I, you know, I, I, I kind of have these, these eyes and I can see all the things. There's another one that is a common expression in, in uh, the scientific world, zoomorphism. Um, now, the way we would look at it is God describing himself with animal characteristics. You see God referring to himself as having feathers or wings. This is God humbling himself so that we can understand a bit about him. We see a couple of places in the scriptures where God says, so Ezekiel saw God, or Isaiah saw God, or John the Apostle saw God. And, and with, with all of those descriptions, all the things that come out, you get very little information. Very little. There's a bright, radiant, rainbow-like uh, uh, glow. In, in Ezekiel's vision of God, he, he spends... 30 verses, essentially, describing the angels. And like two verses describing the appearance of God. Because there's just there's not a lot for us to, to, to grab onto. And God, in His humility, in His meekness, condescends to describe Himself with manageable terms so we can understand what He's like. God's interaction with mankind is described as a humble act. And and that's why we're in Psalm 113 to begin. Look, please, beginning in verse 1. The psalmist writes, Praise the Lord! Praise, O servants of the Lord! Praise the name of the Lord! Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is seated on high? Who looks, listen carefully, far down. Who looks 
far down on the heavens and the earth. The, the word used there indicates the idea of stooping. God is high and lifted up. He's, he's glorious. He's, he's above all these things. And yet, he stoops down to see the heavens. And he stoops down to see the earth. You almost get this vision of, of a, uh, an adult coming by a child. And you, can, you can see this in two different ways, right? There's the adult that kindly d- deals with the child, maybe pats him on the head and says hello and passes on. That's one type of an interchange between an adult and a child. And then there's another one that comes along and he sees this child and he, he stoops down. He gets down on his knee and he, he looks him eye, in the eye, eye to eye and he, and he has a conversation with him. There's, there's a difference between these two. Not, one's not great and the other one's terrible. It's just two different ways. But the second way is more engaged, right? Down on their level where they can see and there's a, a desire for interaction. You get the impression... Um, from the Gospels of this kind of character trait in our Savior. You don't remember in, in Matthew 19, uh, the people come to him, and they're asking him all these questions, and then some children come to him, and his disciples are like, hey, he doesn't have time for you, kids. Remember what Jesus said? Hey, don't, no, 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 don't send them away, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Come, come to me. In, in, in Matthew 19, it talks about him um, reaching his hands out and touching them, and another of the gospel accounts, I think it's Mark's account, he says he actually took them up in his arms. So it's not this distant thing. Our God has demonstrated his meekness in how he interacts with us. He stoops down to meet us where we are. God's merciful dealings with mankind is a demonstration of his meekness. Turn over to Psalm 103. The 103rd Psalm. God's merciful dealings with mankind is a demonstration of his meekness. Remember, I, I, I trust you know this, the cause of our greatest problems stem from our own rebellion against God and his design. That the cause of our greatest problems is our own rebellion against God and his design. And, and God, in his meekness, in his mercy meets us. In, in Psalm 103, begin looking at verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, covenant loyal love. He, he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, and that's pretty high, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far uh, does he remove our transgressions from us, as, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. This is, this is God. This is God, the Holy One. You, you see in Isaiah chapter 6, you've got like angels around the throne, the, the seraphim above the throne of God, seeing holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Uh, you know, the whole earth is full of his glory. His, his, his radiant glory filled the temple. You see all these things about God. And, and here he is, willing to deal with me. I know me. If I were God, I don't think I would deal with me. If you're honest, 
If you thought, if you thought, think about it long enough, if you were God, would you deal with you? You think of all of the ways in which you are um, failure, all the ways that you're unfaithful, all of the ways that you don't meet a standard. It, it, these are difficult things. And yet God, this holy, high, lifted up God in meekness comes down and he deals with us. Look at Psalm 130, the 130th Psalm. Again, the psalmist writes out, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my plea for mercy, or my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand but with you? There is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with Him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. You hear the, the meekness of God in dealing with people like, like us. God has humbled himself. He's been, been so gentle and meek to, to demonstrate his kindness. You can see this in the way he's dealt with us. The fullest expression of God's meekness is seen in the Lord Jesus Christ. Take a look with me at the book of Philippians, chapter 2. A familiar text of Scripture to to many of us. Philippians, chapter 2. The most astounding demonstration of God's meekness is His Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. In Philippians, chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, God's Word says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he didn't have to demonstrate for everyone to know at all times, hey, I want you to know, I'm God. He humbled himself. He didn't grasp on to that full expression of his deity. In verse 6, verse 7, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The Lord Jesus didn't, he didn't have this need for everyone to at all times know how glorious he was. Now you do remember, as he got toward the end of his earthly ministry, And he's praying in that high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. Father, glorify me again like I've been been glorified with you in your presence from all eternity. So it's, it's not as though he never was in a place where his glory was to shine forth. But for, for those, those years, he didn't have to have that, that acknowledgement of his deity and his glory that entire time. This is an act of meekness. You'll remember as the Lord Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and we, we read this earlier, uh, Matthew 21.5 records it this way, Behold, your king is coming to you, 
humble and mounted on a donkey. Then you see the Lord Jesus in your own mind as you read through the scriptures. You see the Lord Jesus in the garden. He's crying out to his father, Father, if there's another way, take this cup pass from me. But this, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And then, then the, the people come in, the guards come in, the, the soldiers come in, and they're going to take him into custody. And who, where, where's this Jesus? Who, who's Jesus? I'm he. And the demonstration of power that sent those, those soldiers onto their backsides. And then humbly allowing Judas to come and betray him with a kiss on the cheek. And then, and then Peter pulls out his sword and cuts off Malchus's ear. And, and Jesus makes this statement. Listen, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Is that not a, an amazing demonstration of meekness? In, in the course of these conversations, Jesus had told his disciples, hey, at any point I could, have, I, I could call on the Father and send me 12 legions of angels. I, I have no problem here. This is not the plan. The plan is that I will suffer these things to be a sacrifice. And then you behold, again in your mind, the Lord Jesus hanging on a cross. You know he's bloodied and beaten and weak and probably disfigured quite a bit. Weary, gasping for breath. And with each gasp for breath, there's an excruciating pain that comes with it. And yet, he lifts himself up to gasp that breath, and he, and he utters forth these words that echo in our ears. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is, this is your Savior. This is my Savior. This is the one that spoke the world into existence. The the power of the word from Jesus made the the stars shine and and hang in place and the the sun to shine and give forth its heat. He, He sustains each star and he sustains each planet and he holds my breath in his hand and Jesus humbly enters into this place where he's crucified and still the meekness of God is on display, or he says, Father, they, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. That is just breathtaking. That's breathtaking. Our Savior, the Lord Jesus, is, according to John 1.18, a demonstration of the Father. The word there in John 1.18 is, is an exegesis of the Father. You want to know what God the Father's like? You've seen it in the way that Jesus dealt with people. You've seen it in the way he dealt with life. He is a full disclosure of the Father. So if you see meekness in Jesus, you see meekness in your Father. This is who he is. As God's children, we've been tasked to demonstrate this character. That's the task. God's children must demonstrate meekness. Well, it sounds sounds impossible, doesn't it? Yes? Sounds impossible to me. You want to know why? Because it is. It's absolutely impossible. Except that the Spirit of God dwells in those who believe. Let's look at a couple of passages, please. Ephesians chapter 4. You see, we can cheapen the fruit of the Spirit. 
we can cheapen it by saying, okay, love acts and does like this. Peace acts and does like this. Joy acts and does like this. Long-suffering acts and does like this. Now go and do it. You cheapen it. You can't do it. You and I cannot go out and do the works of God. Only God can do the works of God. Which means my responsibility is to be a channel. My responsibility is to be one who has come underneath the authority of God and, and, uh, and to, to place myself as a vessel in the hands of the Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness. There's the word meekness, gentleness. With patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so we have this call. And the word gentleness in verse 2 is the word gentleness in Galatians 5.23. It's the same word. In Colossians 3.12, God says it this way. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. He just called us holy and he just called us his loved ones. Put on as the chosen ones of God, you holy and beloved ones, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. This is, he's telling us to do this. This is not an option. It's not like, hey, uh, if you feel like it, if you get around to it. No, this is the way a Christian's life is to be ordered. Demonstrating God's meekness. And, and so there's this, there's this feeling of intimidation. Yes? I'm intimidated by this. You know, it, you and I face conflict circumstances all the time. People come and they, they say the wrong thing to us or someone does the wrong thing toward us. All the time, these opportunities are available to us and God says, your responsibility as my child is to demonstrate my meekness. Well, that's easy if you feel like the dominant one in a, in a situation. But what about when someone gets in your face? What about when they, when they come chest to chest with you and they're like, let's, let's roll? You know, I'm not really easily intimidated by, by many people, you know. I'm not really that scared. So like that, that's like, all right, it's on. Let, let's do this. Like that's, that's what's inside of me. We have become refined so we don't do what's going on in here, right? Oh, yes, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, too, I'm too spiritual to do that. But you know what's going on in your brain. Just because you don't do it with your, your body doesn't mean that you have demonstrated meekness. It means that you didn't do something you shouldn't have done. Like punching someone in the face probably isn't that great idea, great of an idea. But just because you didn't punch them in the face doesn't mean that you have demonstrated meekness. It's all about what's going on in here. God's meekness is not something that is a resource of our own. It is only a resource of Him. And He can enable us to demonstrate that meekness. You know, in, in Titus chapter 3, we're not going to turn there, um, but the way that it, the, the word gentleness is translated there is courtesy. Courtesy, and it says, toward all people. This is a, a good charge for us. We are, we're God's children, and as His children, we're to be imitators of Him as dear children, right? That's what it says in Ephesians 5.1. So we want the character of our God to be on display in our lives. Here's some motivating factors for us. Not that the call is not enough, and not that 
looking at God's glorious uh, meekness isn't enough, but I, I think there are, there are some other ways that we can be motivated to, to have this desire to say, God, I want you to bring forth this meekness in my life. And I think there's, there's something that, that, that we're really, at least for myself, it, it really is an encouragement. Consistent demonstrations of meekness produce gospel response. Consistent demonstrations of meekness produce gospel response. Take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 just for a moment. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Just a, a few passages of Scripture to, to drive this point home briefly. I think that these will be sufficient for us to get the idea. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 24, Paul's telling Timothy about, about life and ministry and, and, and our responsibility as ministers of the gospel. Now, we can get really technical and say, well, this is a pastoral epistle, so this is for a pastor, and I'm just going to say, no, that's not true. It, it is a pastoral epistle, yes, but this is for, for anyone that's minister of the gospel. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, guess what that makes you? Minister of the gospel, right? So this is for us. Verse 24 of 2 Timothy 2, it says this, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with, what's it say? Gentleness. All right, well, there's, a, there's instruction now. Here's some encouragement. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snares, snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Do you see what that is saying? Listen, you can't make it so that someone comes to saving faith. You can't make it so that someone gets out of the snare of the devil. But I can tell you this, as a vessel of God, as a minister of the gospel, we want people to see God's meekness in us, God's gentleness in us. And as a result of that, it may just be that God will bring them to repentance, that God will rescue them from the snare of the devil. And it's not just Paul saying it here in 2 Timothy. Take a look at the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter brings this to the surface on a number of occasions in 1 Peter. I want to just get a little glimpse at it. In 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So I, I think, in my understanding of the book of First Peter, this is an introduction to the next section of the book. And what he starts to do after that is he tells us about the example of the Lord Jesus at the end of chapter 2, uh, how the Lord Jesus uh, humbly, as... as um, as a sheep before its shearers is dumb, so he opened out his mouth. And it talks about him um, bearing our sins in his own body on the tree. He's just giving us this example of the Lord Jesus as, as demonstrating good works for what purpose? That they may glorify God on the day of visitation. Then he opens up chapter 3 and he starts to tell us uh, about this relationship of, of a wife who has an unsaved husband. And, and, and he talks to, to them about, about the, the manner to carry themselves and what the benefits of that is. It says in verse 3, Do not let your adorning be external, 
This is chapter 3 and verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of jewelry, or the clothing you wear. He's not saying don't wear any clothes. He's saying don't let that be who you are. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. The point of this is in verse 1, that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. So he's telling them, listen, just just walk in the power of the Spirit. He doesn't use those words. Walk in the power of the Spirit. Fulfill your responsibilities by my grace, and I will be the one who will turn people's eyes toward me. And then he says in verse 15, chapter 3 and verse 15, familiar passage to some, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. What is he telling us? As we allow God's humility, God's meekness to be on display in our lives, it opens the door for God to do what only God can do. It opens the door for God to turn someone away from us. See, our display of Christianity sometimes ends up being about us. Look at me. Look how I've changed. Look at what I dress like. Look look what I do. Look how I speak. Look how I act. Look where I go. Look how I smell. And it becomes about me. That's not the gospel. It's about him. And the manner that is orchestrated through us, when it's manufactured by us, many times ends up with one of these. When the fruit of the Spirit is all about demonstrating the character and nature of our God. The last item for our discussion this morning is this. True meekness is a result of God's working. True meekness is a result of God's working. Meekness results from walking with the Spirit. That's the whole context of Galatians chapter 5. He doesn't give us a list of the fruit of the Spirit and say, now go do, go do likewise. He says, walk in the Spirit. You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These two are contrary, the one to the other, so you cannot do the things that you wish. And he goes on and says, this is what the, the evidence of the flesh looks like. You'll know that you're not walking in the Spirit if, if these things are going on. And he lists quite, quite, a, quite a list there, you'll remember. And then he says, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness. I've got the King James in my head too. Kindness. Come on, you got it. You remember the list. We have arrived in our study at gentleness or meekness. This is not something that comes out of our self-effort. This is something that comes out of a life lived in harmony with the Lord. Since meekness is a characteristic of our God and fellowship with God results in His fruitfulness, when we're walking with God, others will experience His meekness through us. James seems to help us out a little bit on this. Take a look at James chapter 1. This section of James, there's a a heavy emphasis upon the Word. In verse 18, he tells us that God brought us forth, in other words, He made us born again by the word of truth. That's what it says in verse 18. 
Verse 19, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear. Now, a lot of times we rip this thing right out of the context and we just say, we turn this into a, like a personal relationship thing. Hey, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. But that, the context is the word. So the, the emphasis in verse 19 is, be quick to hear what? That same word that brought you forth. Be slow to speak, slow to wrath. Why? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now he comes right back again to emphasize the word. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with what? That's our word. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So in verse 18, it brings us forth. In verse 19, we ought to listen to it. In verse 21, we need to receive it with meekness because it saves our souls. Verse 22 is to do it, not just hear it, because it's to, 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 to hear it humbly and not do it is illogical. The, the result of a humble hearing of the Word is God working it out in us. Look at verse 15, uh, 25 now. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being not, uh, no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. He will be blessed. That's external, right? Blessed. That's, that's a grace. God will grace you in your activities. What does it come from? Well, we're born again out of the Word. We're to hear the Word, but to hear it humbly or meekly under the... Under the um, surrender of our heart and life to our God. So we, when we talk about surrender of our will or yielding to the Spirit, it's, it's really that old expression that comes from our Old Testament texts, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. It's to, it's to say, you're God and I'm not. It's not being petrified of God. I have no reason to be petrified. Why do I have no reason to be petrified of God? There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I'll never be separated from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. I don't have any reason to be petrified. The fear of the Lord is about recognizing who He is and my place underneath the shadow of His wing. He builds on this again in chapter 3. Take a look at chapter 3 and verse 13. Looking into the Word with meekness results in a transformation that God is working out in us. In James chapter 3 and verse 13, he asks this question, who is wise and understanding among you? That's a, that's a good question, right? Oh, of course it's me. Of course I must be wise and understanding. No, no, no. Here, here's the answer. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. A meekness that results from wisdom a meekness that demonstrates wisdom. True wisdom is demonstrated in meekness, and the source of meekness is wisdom. So we, we, we come to this, this discussion, and, and we're going through the fruit of the Spirit. We come to gentleness or meekness. My emphasis is meekness. That's how, that's how I learned the word, is meekness. Um, God is, is the ultimate demonstration of that meekness that he is calling for here. He's called us to demonstrate that meekness. He's given us reasons to want that meekness to be on display in us. But how does it take place? Is it, I, I, I learn what meekness is and I go and do 
what I've learned. That's not it. It's, it's coming under the glorious grace of God and allowing God to do what only God can do. The type of meekness we're talking about is not self-manufactured. If we simply start to try to be meek and gentle in our daily lives, we're settling for a human invention. The meekness we're talking about is a product of God's work. You know, we don't become meek. This, this is important. I really, if you've faded out, tune back in. We don't become meek by looking at the example of Jesus. We become meek by looking and coming to Jesus. Please tell me you see the difference. Jesus made this statement. You, you are familiar with it, and we read it in our opening responsive reading. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. If if you want to demonstrate that for which God has called us to demonstrate, it's not just by learning and watching Jesus, it's by coming to Jesus. There's a there's a show, maybe you've watched it, maybe you haven't. It's called Undercover Boss. You ever watched it? I was thinking over the last couple of weeks as I've been kind of meditating on this, I was thinking about one of those episodes. You know, the, the, the idea of it is that some CEO or boss comes in and he disguises himself and goes and works amongst the people. Basically, you know, this authority figure humbles himself and comes alongside of his workers. And the one that just kept standing out in my mind was one that I had seen on Model Sports Sporting Goods. This guy, uh, he's a rather large fellow, he shaved his, his head and he put some, this big nasty mustache looking thing on and he put some furry stuff on his eyebrows to try to disguise himself. And he goes in, and he's, he's working with this manager, and then he goes and works with this guy in a warehouse, and works with this, this uh, retail clerk in this place. And, and, and basically, he's trying to see, how, how is my operation functioning without them seeing and knowing who I am? It's quite a thing. It, it's quite an experience as they, they observe the policies that they put in place and how it impacts the, like, the real people. You know, some of these people were living on, this one guy was living on $230 a week. This other lady that was working for him was living in a homeless shelter with her two kids. It's like, man, it's kind of an emotional thing. And, and you, you come to the end of the program, and then like this, this big un, un, you know, reveal, and you know, he sends this guy on a vacation, and he gives him a raise, and gives him some time off. And this guy, if, hey, listen, if you come to work 90 straight days, you're going to get uh, a check for $20,000. This other guy like, gets this, this big promotion, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, it's, all, it's all good and happy. It's very feel good. You come to this, this lady that was living in a homeless shelter. He gave her a check. He paid the taxes on it for $250,000 so she could buy a house that day. I don't ever want to see one more day in a homeless shelter. It's very emotional. He's come and he's gotten off of his throne to come down to be with the people. 
meekly hanging out with normal people. And the change that takes place in him. Folks, God didn't need to do that to know us. And he still did. He still came down. He didn't need you. God knows everything. He's, he's, he is the personification of wisdom. He knows everything from the end of the beginning. And yet, he humbled himself. And he came among the people. And, and the way the book of Hebrews says, he, it was through this experience of, of dealing with us and dealing with temptation and the power of temptation that he has become the faithful high priest who was able to help those who are tempted. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 that he feels with us in our weaknesses, even though he himself, while being tempted in every way, never sinned. So we can come boldly to the throne of grace to receive help in our time of need. 